Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Inside the Euros. This is the podcast to accompany you through the summer, all the way through Euro 2020. I'm Rick Sharma. And I'm David Gibbs. And today we move on to Group B, headed up by Belgium. We discussed them a fair bit in the first pod. They're among the favourites for the tournament, but the guys were too doubtful of them for my liking, so I decided to go elsewhere for some optimism. I spoke to a Belgian journalist with HLN, that's Christophe Terror. HLN in Ing E Land is his Twitter account. Very, very much worth a follow. Although it turns out he was actually thinking a bit more like Joe and Vieri on the last pod. So hi, Christophe. How are you? You're in Belgium, right? Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm. Uh, I'm really. F- yeah, fine, fine. Just getting uh, getting ready for the Euros. Basically, that's what we're we're getting. Yeah, we're getting pumped up for the Euros now. It started. Players are back. Uh, all back except Kevin De Bruyne. They are starting training, press conferences, friendly games. So, yeah, the build-up to the to the tournament has started. And you're right to be excited because Belgium are number one in the FIFA rankings. They've been there for a long time. Are they the best team in the world? Uh, I, I will play the typical Belgian role. Uh, we like to be underdogs. We put we put all the pressure on France. They they. They are a bogey team. Always when we meet France, we get beaten. So uh, we'll say that France are the big favourites. And we are one of the top four teams and we'll see where it ends. But if the golden generation wants to win a Euros, it's now or never. So, Well, that, that's a very interesting interesting point because, you know, World Cup 2018, they, they lost in the semis to France. What, do you think that was the moment this generation should have got to the final? Or are they more mature now? Are they better now? Are they wiser now? They are definitely more mature, wiser. And what's, what's key is that the key players like uh, Courtois, Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Eden Hazard, and um, Romelu Lukaku, all the like, like 28 in the, in the prime of their careers, they all have had issues uh, during the season, but uh, like definitely Eden Hazard, but he was really top when in, at the World Cup uh, 2018. He doesn't have that level anymore, but if you look purely age-wise, experience-wise, where they've been, they've been in European finals, Lukaku's won his first trophy now, they have that experience. And the defeat against France made them more hungry but also more realistic in a way. Belgium have been playing more pragmatic in the, over the last few uh, years in some games, like, for instance, against England. I remember that they were more pragmatic. It's not all beauty that counts anymore. It is they know how to win. Um, I still think there are still some, uh, some, some issues in this team. I think our defence is getting quite old with 32, 34 and to even almost 36-year-olds. We've lost Vincent Company, which was a huge inspiration in the group. He was the, the real leader. We lost a, a good uh, utility player like Marwan Fellaini, the one who can make that one header. The last minute, he lost Moussa Dembele, who was in and out of the team. He's a good backup too, but we have a hungry young generation too. Yuli Tielmans has had a fantastic season at uh, at, uh, at Leicester, he steps in for Dembele, so that gap has been filled with a player that really suits his team. And I think the surprise might even be Jeremy Doku, an 18-year-old boy of, uh, of Remn, who's made it, played in the Belgian league last year, was quite inconsistent, but made that step up. And he's now, he did it well in his first season, a little, and he has that bravery in him, because 
constantly keep keeps on dribbling and if he loses the ball next time he tries again he tries again and maybe he will fail like four out of five, five times but the fifth time he makes that movement and creates danger and players good players recognize good players and the young players the older players are always saying Doku he has something that something special his speed acceleration he can be like for instance the Divo Corrigi of 2014 the one player that Nobody really knows that the world still has to start. You know, Origi hasn't made a brilliant career afterwards. He's, he's, he's in Liverpool icon, of course, because of those <laughs> goals in the Champions League. But the rest of his career hasn't been too brilliant, to be fair. So, uh, But Doki has, definitely has the extra X factor, something we didn't know like a year ago. Uh, it's only when he made his debut for Belgium and when he moved on to Rennes that everybody started really seeing what he's capable of. So... That's an, uh, that's an extra player we have. And then, yeah, Romelu Lukaku in the form of his life, uh, season of his life, he brings that to any... He, he's had that two years on, on the Antonio Conte. He's, made them, he's pushed him to another level and uh, we'll, he will bring that to... Like the, the Lukaku of 2018 was still the Lukaku of Manchester United, not the one of Inter. And now we have the one of Inter. So uh, that's... That there's a huge pressure on his shoulder too, but I think he can cope with that. Definitely, when some players are injured or like Kevin De Bruyne won't, not sure he will be fit for the first game. He will have to play with a mask after what happened in the Champions League final. You have Eden Hazard who will need games to get to his best level. You have the problem at uh, at uh, at uh, the defensive midfield with Axel Witzel, who's just back after. He was out for four, five months with an erupted Shields tendon. Nobody expected him to be to be back uh, that early, but he did it. He worked hard, and yeah, he he might be. He's, he's he's critical for the balance in the team. He's like the one you always complain about. Oh, he plays sideways. He does this. He does that. But John Obi Mikel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the positional play, he, he he covers a lot, and players always say he's important, and definitely with a. Uh, uh, a, a defense that's quite vulnerable when it's it goes on pace and 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 that and agility uh, not so mobile anymore. We'll need somebody who really protects that defense. So uh, it's quite interesting we'll be... that because Witzel, I was surprised he was named in the squad. And you have Tielemans, of course, from Leicester, who could maybe take his position, but it's not quite the same player. No, it's not the same. It's he. He has. We don't have uh, Wilfried and Didi to uh, who has like twenty-five legs, uh, like an octopus, to recover all those <laughs> balls. So that's the type we're missing. And Leon de Dundonker and Tielemans is uh, is is a couple that uh, um, Martinez might consider before that. Uh, for before Witzel is back because the Dundonker and Tielemans played together in those roles down the leg before. But the Dunker at Leicester, he's playing basically as an eight. He's the runner. He doesn't touch a lot of balls. He's the running box-to-box midfielder who needs to get in the box. So he's playing his team in a different role. So we'll have to see. But he's not pure, if you look at football side, he's no no Witzel. And he lacks a little bit that positioning, the positioning of Witzel and the, the, the calmness on the ball and the, uh, that Witzel has. So it's a completely different type. And then... If he plays both of them, I, then then uh, Kevin De Bruyne is moved up higher up the pitch, and he's really at his best when he is in position eight in this system. So he he's the guy who connects attack and uh, attack and and defense like uh, 
like what Tielemans is doing at, at Leicester. So Tielemans and De Bruyne are quite, they're not, not the same players, but they are at their best in the same role. And both together, I think you lack a little bit of, uh, of tactical discipline and you might end up like Guardiola, not having the guy who recovers something in a Champions League final and then you will end up on a counter-attack and uh, uh, Kai Harvard scoring a crucial goal <laughs> and you lose a game. So, yeah, there are a few worries for, 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 for Martinez, but I'm also encouraged, for instance, by what Yannick Carrasco has done at Atletico. He's had a really good season. If he can bring that the level he had there, the discipline and the maturity he's got after he went back to, 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 to after he came back from China, if he can add that to the team, that might be a surplus, one that we didn't expect because 2018, there were lots of doubts about him when he moved to China, about how will he come back? But now it's the second Belgian player who's played in China and comes back as a better player. It's strange. It's, it's really a strange situation. They both have, him and Witzel both have worked hard when they were in China. It was a life lesson too, I think. And Carrasco returned uh, to, uh, to Atletico last year during the just before the pandemic uh, struck. So, yeah, he, he has taken his last chance and he's at another level. It's not the playful character. It's not Beckham anymore who annoyed his teammates and drove them crazy with showballing on training and with this little bit the air he had, the little bit of the arrogance that the, the, the older teammates didn't like the attitude. But now he is a, a different player, really one that suits Simeone's style. He's like, he's, he's an ultimate winner and the ultimate, even the ultimate Simeone player in my eyes. But at the beginning, they clashed and uh, yeah, now they have found each other. It's great, great to have that in the team too. Um, and that are the main things I think about the Belgian team. Right back, Thomas Meunier hasn't got a good season at Dortmund uh, in the last weeks out of the team, but we can put Timothy Castagne who was a great season at Leicester too. So Castagne, Tielemans, uh, Tielemans already played at the World Cup, but he's at a different level now. We've added Castagna to the team, who brings something different. You have a different Carrasco. You have Torgan Hazard, who has uh, more experience. So, in the end, it's what the players usually say, like the mix of the old generation, the golden generation, and, uh, and the young generation make this team still exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, you've got a team full of winners now. You know, Lukaku has come back a Serie A champion to Belgium. Carrasco, a La Liga champion. And, you know, Thibaut Courtois, he didn't win anything this year, but he's had probably his best season for me since he was at Atletico Madrid in the first place. Like an absolutely sensational season. There, yeah, is, he, there, there is, is two question marks for me. Yeah. Right? Eden Hazard. If he, is, if he was at his very, very best, I think Belgium for me would be favourites for this tournament. Do you think, is it too optimistic to imagine he could, he could hit the tournament at top form? I remember his season 2016, uh, the, the, the third Mourinho season at Chelsea, where he really struggled. He got injured a lot too. He was struggling with the hip. Yeah, nobody believed in him anymore. He was the rat at a certain point together with uh, Fabregas and, uh, and Diego Costa. <laughs> but he was five years younger and I think body has taken a toll a little bit of, of, uh, of uh, yeah, he's played a lot. He's like played 800 games uh, since he was uh, 16 years old. So it's one of those, those that you fear, 
already before he joined Real Madrid that might reach that burnout level. Like even just Fabregas, at a certain point, he lost it. And you lose that little bit of pace that you need, that spark. And yeah, Eden, Eden being Eden, thinking that he can get away with everything and lose weight in, uh, in, uh, in three weeks like he did at Chelsea when he was 24. But once you're 29, it becomes more difficult to, 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 to lose weight. So yeah, I, I don't. I think he needs its games, and I don't think he will be at the same level as uh, in 2016, where he was good at the Euros too. Definitely not as in 2018, where he had already that already transferred to Real Madrid in his mind. He wanted to play for him. Chelsea was finished at, at that point. It's, it's what I remember tweeting out the quotes. He told me in the mixed zone after Belgium got the. Uh, won the, uh, the, the third place medal game against England where he said, yeah, for me, it's time to move on after three years, after six years at Chelsea, I've seen everything. I still remember that he was already ready for the transfer and then you have that extra motivation. Still, he now has a point to prove. He will be focused, but I think he will still miss that spark. I, 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 might, I can be wrong. It can be the best. It might be he might relaunch his career at the Euros. He might go back as a different person to, to, to Real Madrid. But still, it's difficult to hide when you haven't played football for basically two years and have been struggling with little pains. And still, like uh, when we're talking, he, uh, he was still training individually with Belgium because he was struggling. They don't put a lot of pressure on him. They are really cautious with his body because... Yeah, the body has, has taken some blows over the over the last one and a half years. So we'll see. We'll yeah. see. But I think, yeah, sometimes in tournaments, it happens that a player who hasn't performed for ages suddenly pops up. It's international football is something different, lower, lower level. Uh, it's, it's a lower level than club football. The tempo is yeah, n- not always that high. So he might find himself back. I really hope for him that he find, finds himself back. But it's, for me, still a question mark too. And I think in his head, it's a question mark too. Roberto Martinez said in an interview earlier this week that he's seen the best Eden Hazard of the last two years. I don't think a player believes that. So no. um, It sounds like he's trying to cheat him up. Yeah. Psychologically, yeah, 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 but uh, that doesn't work with players of that level. Eden will laugh at that and say, I'm not there yet, I still need time. But he's in a good mental state, that's true. And he always loves to be around the Belgian team, so it's that might be different to not having that pressure for me because Eden is the character that uh, always wants to go- do good for everybody, for everybody, and that's the way he puts pressure on himself, too. Like, uh, I want to perform because they paid 100 mil, 100 mil, at least 100 million euro for me. I want to perform because Zidane got me here. I want to perform for those fans. I want to entertain those fans, but I can't bring it. And in a way, he puts pressure on himself by, uh, by wanting to be the guy that doesn't... He, he hates conflicts. He hates uh, everything that there are arguments. He wants to do good for everybody. And if you want to do good for everybody... You, in a way, you want to be perfect too. And that's something he couldn't bring. And I think psychologically, he would, if he gives an interview, he would admit that, that psychologically, in a mental state, he already admitted that the problem that he had with his ankle, with that plate that was uh, 
that was really uh, causing him issues, that it was maybe in the head that new metal at Chelsea, they put a metal plate in his foot. He played, played two years without any issues. But now at, uh, at, at, at AL, they put another a new titanium plate in his foot and he always felt pain. And maybe that went to his head too. And yeah, uh, that caused the injuries too. Once you're, you have stress on your body, you have to be careful. So uh, yeah, maybe you run differently, or you just go into yeah. tackles differently, or dribbles differently. Yeah, or maybe he's afraid sometimes of uh, of getting a new injury, feeling something that's not 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 really uh, uh, becoming something big, but you feel something, and you're gonna automatically put your foot on the brake. And what I've seen the difference from what I've seen between uh, between Spain and England, for instance, is uh, those tackles in uh, they like to kick a player a technical play they like to kick one around a bit yeah in in england everything is at higher speed like you have the time to to pull. in in spain they really kick him around too and at, in a different way than they did in england in england he was tackled in spain he gets hard kicks also maybe because he's a little bit slower and a little it get, doesn't get the time and the pace in England. They couldn't catch him sometimes. That was the issue in Spain, where everything goes slower. It's uh, it's easier to 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 to, uh, to kick his ankles too. Yeah, and, the defenses yeah, are it, better organized in Spain, so it's easier yeah, to know yeah, where yeah. he's going to be and and, yeah, and intercept yeah, yeah. him. Yeah, the it's, other... a, it's, a, it's a huge difference. There's a huge difference between the way the game is played in Spain, and I think. If you look back at it, I've always found that he was English football suited him better, pace and acceleration. Uh, and in Spain, everything is uh, it's it's in a way it's maybe a stupid comparison. But I remember Belgium under the previous manager Mark Wilmots, they were as slow as Real Madrid are playing now, and that was the were the moments that he wasn't performing either. For, for, for Belgium and, and Roberto Martinez made a system where it was a little bit more direct, uh, where he got a little bit more space to, uh, to where he got the Brana to launch him, the Brana always looking for him. So that hasn't happened at Real Madrid. They can't do that. We're not going to build the whole team around uh, Eden Hazard when you have Karim Benzema, Luka Modric, uh, Toni Kroos. It might come, but he has lost two years, basically. That's the conclusion we have to take. He's lost two years at Real Madrid. Yeah, it's been it's been really disappointing. As I, I cover Real Madrid, cover Barcelona, and I'd I'd love to see Hazard as good as he was at Chelsea in Spain. We can we can hope. the the other The other question I have for you is about the defense. The defense is, I mean, I don't think it's unfair to say it's an old defense. Apart from perhaps Jason Denier at Lyon. So do you think he he's going to be starting at the Euros and can he be the guy to chase down Mbappe and chase down the attackers who are going to be running at Belgium's defence? If everybody is fit, I think Roberto Martinez will still opt for his most experienced guys at Alderweireld at the age of 32, Vertonghen at the age of 34 and Vermaelen at the age of, yeah, he turns 36 in, in November, I think. So that's the first choice defence. But if I... Uh, would be playing against the pacey player. I think they're going to play differently than a little bit more leaning backwards. I think they won't take those huge rigs and they will, those players will be protected a little bit more. That will be the key, protect that defense. Don't give them the space to run at them. So make the spaces uh, uh, a little bit uh, tighter. And 
I think that is what will happen. But yeah, if you want pace, you need Jason Denier. But Jason Denier is, to be fair, not yet at the level of where the others have been. That's the difference. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. But he's the only. It's it's something we have a huge issue with with creating new defenders. It's it's a bit of it's a bit odd when you look at. Uh, we always used to uh, used to be jealous of of Holland creating so many good creative attacking players and not having really decent defenders. Now it's the other way around. If you look at Holland, when they have everybody fit, they have Matthijs de Ligt and Virgil van Dijk and Stefan de Vrij, who are three amazing defenders. Yeah, we have, if our old generation is gone, we have, yeah, we have a few young guys who are coming through now, but still... It's not the same, so we'll have to wait for a good defensive generation, but I think that will take still a few more years. We had a good young guy, Zinho van Heusden, who was at Inter loaned out back to a Belgian team, but he got seriously injured. He did excruciate ligaments twice, so he lost a lot of time. So, yeah, he's now as the 27, 28 player with the squad. If, 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 if we lose a player, he might be one that steps in but yeah he's in the packing on the order be behind behind the three uh touchables denier you still have Didi Puyata still hanging around uh because he's a useful player he's good in the squad not complaining when he's not playing you need those players in a tournament too but yeah we're the same luckily we have a brilliant goalkeeper behind them that's uh, the difference with Belgium's defense and England's defense I guess yeah, yeah, England's goalkeeper situation is, is shocking. None of those keepers I would want in my, my lineup, whereas Courtois is, is one of the best in the world. And, well, I think that's just about it, Christoph. Thank you very much for coming on the pod. And one more question, last thing, prediction. Where do Belgium finish? We'll get beaten in the semi-final by France. Uh, so, um, yeah, we'll finish third or fourth. Depends on the opponent we will meet in the in the third place players if they care about that game. So, I think we will, yeah, we always have to go uh, past French if we want to win it. But I think they have, a ma- they have the most experienced manager in a way, it, he's also did, done it at club football. He's been in a Champions League final as a manager. Uh, Roberto Martinez has been in an FA Cup final with, with a small team. So it's that experience. And Deschamps has played at a high level too. He's won a European Championship. He won a World Cup. He might do the same as he did like 20 years ago. First uh, win the World Cup, then the Euros as a player. Now he can do it as a manager. So that... That will be a great story too. But France, definitely, they can play three or four squads. Uh, and if I have to name an outsider, I say Portugal because they have they have a pretty they have the best defender in the Premier League. They have one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. They still have Ronaldo. They have Bernardo. They have Cancelo, the best one of the best wing backs in the in the in the Premier League. So they have some talent too. Ciao, Felix. It's it's going to be a tight one. I'm looking really forward to to see like the teams like Italy where they are because they were really good in all qualification games but we don't really know where they are and Italy known to be tournament squad to always have that team spirit what you saw in their squad announcement where they were all it was the crazy show where they were all singing the the national anthem at the end that's what I really like like that unity <laughs> Italy has something special in in there but I don't know where they are because the 
qualifications for those tournaments always are like, yeah, for Belgium, it was an easy ride. Walk through the park to qualify. You don't really know where those teams are. And that's something we're going to see now at the Euro. So quite excited to see the really big teams. And yeah, we will have to beat Italy or uh, of France, I think if you look at all predictions, like you do the predictions yourself, you could don't go to the match schedule and you see France will win that group. If they win that group, we will meet and we win a group, we will meet them in the semi final uh, or even before. And it's dependable on what happens in the, in the, in the group of Portugal and in Germany and uh, 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 France. What happens in that group? It's uh, that's the key group because you can play. I think Belgium even can meet the third one of that group, but that can be Portugal, France. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. It's a crazy group. And it's, yeah, it's a shame that they're all, that they're all in that group because you're going to definitely lose one of, a, of, a, of the top teams quite early. And then you get like one of the group of Holland, Ukraine. So the, the more easier group. So it's, it's a, yeah, it's 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 gonna be a really difficult one to predict, but yeah, semi-final France are we we getting beaten by France when they even finish third in their group. So we are afraid of France. That's basically <laughs> it. Well, hopefully you don't get them too soon, and good luck to Belgium at the Euros. Yeah, we, we I wish them good luck. I'm 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 not. I don't really have that national feeling. I want them to win it. No, but yeah, it will be good that they win it. Uh, it's good for. It's good for the for the nation, and it's then the the cycle has yeah, the cycle is uh, what do you call it? the cycle has has uh, it's ending. Then the cycle yeah then the cycle has ended with a highlight like uh, not with another bitter disappointment like no 2018 wasn't that bitter because we've never finished third in a in a World Cup so. But anyway, if you want to be a golden generation and not the bronze, they're now the bronze generation. If they want a golden gener- want to be a golden generation, they have to win something. And yeah, otherwise we're just a continental England. So Well, so Christoph clearly doesn't believe too much has changed since 2018. But what about you, Joe? You think they can do it this time? Can they beat France? I'm probably on Christoph's side here. I'm sorry to any Belgian fans listening. However, one thing I must say is that I'm very surprised Roberto Martinez has developed sort of a more pragmatic approach. When he was a Premier League manager, he was sort of known for his swashbuckling, attacking football and the defending often left a lot to be decided. So you have to applaud him to say well done for taking a new measured look at the game. But that backline, you have to say, it would have been a fantastic backline at Euro 2012, <laughs> World Cup 2014. I think they're all maybe a bit too old, the likes of Mbappe and Co to be running at them at full pelt. While they do play a lot more compact, as Christoph said, I'm not sure that I can see them getting past France or certainly keeping France out and being able to outscore them. But don't you think Belgium have a secret weapon in their uh, coaching camp with Thierry Henry? Well, I mean, Thierry Henry is obviously French. So I guess that helps. He'll probably have friends inside the France camp. However, I'm not sure they'd relieve too many secrets to him ahead of any potential meeting. However, I think his presence will be very important for Belgium going forwards. Romelu Lukaku, who we all put in our potential team of the tournament, he would certainly benefit from Thierry Henry's mentoring. And I think he's spoken in the past about how he enjoyed working with 
Henri as well. So I could certainly see that being a benefit. However, unfortunately for Belgium, he's maybe a bit old and of the wrong nationality to put his shin pads on and uh, score a few goals for them. Let's hope there's no like Graham Smith and KP in cricket terms passing voice notes between each other. Very niche reference there, Gibbo. For anyone who, yeah, for anyone like Rick who doesn't follow cricket, there two South African-born players, one playing for England, one playing for South Africa, talking about members of the England team in not very nice terms in Afrikaans. Has been an issue in the past, the division in terms of languages within the Belgian camp, but I don't think that's that's true anymore. Everyone's really international now. All these players play with each other at at club level or you know in different countries in the past when there was a lot of players from you know playing within Belgium I think it was much more of an issue the idea of that affecting the team it's quite interesting I've always wondered yeah I've always wondered sorry Rick I've always wondered what language Roberto Martinez does his team talks in I'm assuming English rather than doing one in Flemish which I'd be very impressed if he's learned and then French which is obviously a bit closer to his mother tongue of Catalan so I was very interested with teams and like Petkovic for Switzerland. I wonder what language he does his team talking in a multilingual country as well. Those kind of those little nuggets are really fascinate me. So if anyone can shed any light on that, please get in touch on social media. I'd be very uh, very happy to know. Yeah, we'll find that out and we'll we'll reveal the answer in the next episode. I wouldn't surprise me if he's learned French, Roberto Martinez, because first, like you say, it's not too difficult to learn it when you know Spanish already. And secondly, he has embedded himself into the culture in Belgium really well. He's living there and he's he appointed he, he became appointed technical director of the team as well as coach because he's super interested in all the young players coming through. And he really is building something there, Belgium. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those coaches. He always did play a lot of young players at club level. And you can see that he's probably one of the, he's one of those player, uh, coaches who was a player but didn't have the most successful playing career in terms I mean, Compared to you or I, I'm sure his playing career is off the charts. However, he was a lower <laughs> league player, especially in Scotland. I think he spent a lot of time as well as the UK or the rest of the UK and England. However, those kind of coaches, yes, he did as well. Uh, those kind of players, those kind of coaches who have had sort of lesser known playing careers. You look at Mourinho, AVB, Thomas Tuchel, even Jurgen Klopp. Those kind of people make often make the best coaches because the players who've had such good careers can't relate to players on a, on a certain level if they think that they're not as good as them. There was a lot of talk about that back in the day with Glenn Hoddle at England, that he would get frustrated during training sessions, that he could trap a ball and certain players couldn't. And you look at how it's gone for, say, Frank Lampard at Chelsea as well. He's you know He got fired and they brought in Tuchel, who's one of those lesser known uh, more football freaks, football geeks, I think would be the way to describe the likes of Tuchel, Klopp and Martinez as well. Those people who just live and breathe football and perhaps they live and breathe it so much because they didn't quite make it at the very highest level as a player. Look at Hansi Flick also. He won the Champions League with Bayern Munich and he will be taking over the Germany squad come after the Euros. Yeah, another great example there. Jürgen Love as well, who course had so much success with Germany who'll be handing over the reins to Flick I don't think he had any sort of notable playing career from memory so yeah I would there'd be quite a few players there'd be quite a few coaches in the squad who didn't have that distinguished a playing career but then on the other hand there are actually quite a lot of coaches who had very good playing careers as well so it'd be interesting to see how they do going forwards and to see if the team who wins it would be like say Deschamps who obviously had a 
garlanded career with France, lifted the World Cup as France captain, whether that experience at that top level will see him outsmart once again coaches who didn't maybe have that experience as a player. Moving on to Denmark. They're a solid little team, dependent somewhat creatively on Christian Eriksen, who struggled with Inter Milan this season. I mean, he's not an Antonio Conte player, really, but he did score a few tours at the end of the season. They've got a lot of players stationed at big clubs all across Europe, and you just have to look back to Euro 92 to see they can cause an upset. Any chance for Denmark? I think they've got a fabulous keeper in Casper Schmeichel. Obviously, his father, we all know who his father is. He won it in 92 as well. He's a real solid keeper, and he's definitely up there. I'm surprised we didn't actually, none of us actually nominated him for our team in the tournament, but he could play as well. He could be up there. I think maybe recency bias with Casper Schmeichel and the, from the last day of the Premier League season may have played a part in that as he had a bit of a, a nightmare against Tottenham, making a couple of mistakes that ultimately saw Leicester miss out the Champions League. But they're an interesting team, as you say, because on paper, they've actually got a lot of strong individuals. So it's quite a collection of names when you see Schmeichel, Hoiberg, obviously, Poulsen at Leipzig, Eriksen at Inter Milan. They're playing at the top level across Europe. However, for whatever reason, it maybe doesn't seem to work for them on an international stage, maybe it's that they've got five or six really top quality players, but the rest of the squad is just that notch below and they're not capable of fielding sort of an 11 or having a core 14 or 15 capable of taking them sort of further. They're a bit kind of like a Switzerland. If you ask me, you expect them to get out of the groups, but maybe not progress past the last round of 16. I think we're forgetting one player here as well is in Christensen. He's just won the Champions League with Chelsea at centre-back. Came on as a, a sub and performs well. He's probably not had as many minutes as he wanted this season, but I'm sure he'll be hungry to, to do well for the national team. And in the Nations League, they, they beat England at Wembley. Well, Christensen, I mean, came in to the Champions League final, replaced Thiago Silva, who was injured, and Chelsea's defence didn't suffer for it. So that's a really big sign in terms of how good he could be this summer for Denmark at the Euros. I think Everything you said is right. They they have a really strong core of the team, from Schmeichel to the centre-backs, Christensen, Simon Kerr, midfielders, Delaney, Eriksen, Hoiberg. And then the only doubt for me with Denmark is the goals. Where are they getting goals from? Martin Brathwaite hasn't had too many minutes for Barcelona this season, so he could be fresh, but, but he hasn't hasn't got the best record over over the last few years for Denmark. And he might end up being used... A bit almost like a defensive wide forward in in a 4-3-3, which Kaspar Schulman likes to use with Denmark. He might end up in a wider position. I just don't really see where the goals are coming. Yeah, well, they, as I mentioned, at Poulsen, at Leipzig, who's a, more of a target man, but he, again, is more of a brings-linking player. He brings players into the game as opposed to a goal scorer. That was very much his role at club level. And as you say, Brathwaite at Barcelona, who... Many people will be surprised to learn, I think, that he's if you don't follow La Liga too carefully or Denmark too carefully, that Denmark do have a Barcelona striker who wears a number nine jersey for Barcelona. However, yeah, his, he didn't get a lot of game time, as you said. When he did play, he didn't really score that many goals. So you have to say that they are maybe a team who you're looking to sneak games 1-0 I think set pieces might be a good option for them with the likes of Ericsson to take them Christensen, Kaya, Hoiberg and co all big lads to aim at I think we're, we're missing something here and we don't want to necessarily write 
Denmark off. Don't forget, their under-21s were just in, in, in the tournament, uh, knocked out by Germany on penalties a few days ago. But also in, in 2015, they they finished third. They, they reached the semi-finals of the under-21 championship. And Yeah, I, I don't like the comparison to Switzerland. I'm not saying it's not fair, Joe. It is fair. They are similar and they're both playing red. But I think for me, Denmark, I'd much rather watch a Denmark game than a, a Switzerland game, especially in the last few years under the new coach because Jormund has, has, has been more exciting. He likes the fullbacks to get forward and attack. And I think, whether I, I heard on some other podcasts that, that Denmark are a team that, that think a lot of themselves. You know, They think that they're better than the other teams in Scandinavia. They're not like you know, the thuggish Swedes or anything like that. And so I think we do see a little bit of that in their play. Denmark are, you can sort of see from the way that, just to use an example as follow of the Premier League, Kasper Michael certainly seems a confident young man, I think would be the way to, to describe him. So you can see how they would have that belief in themselves. But aside from the fact that they've got slightly similar flags and both playing reds, I mean, they're one of the they're one of those teams that always seem to end up playing against England at a major tournament and getting knocked out by England in the last eight. And while necessarily they might not necessarily face England this time round, I certainly don't think they'll be getting past any stage to face England at a potential semi final or even a final. Next, we go to Russia. Now, they were good at the World Cup in 2018, but then it was in Russia. They knocked out Spain and were beaten in the quarters by Croatia on penalties. And I watched that in a hipster bar in St. Petersburg, and it was a, a wild night. But, I mean, it seems a tall order for them to repeat it. And they do have at least two, the first two games of the group are in St. Petersburg. They are at home. And coach Stanislav Cherchesov is a bit of a maniac. I wasn't sure if I loved him or I hated him at the World Cup. He used to get very angry about things without much reason to. But he's the kind of guy that could inspire a squad to go on and, and do something big. Any chance with Russia? Yeah, we've got to say that they'll be hoping to channel the same home advantage that they did in the World Cup in 2018. I think that Russia, maybe as opposed to, you know, you say a Switzerland or a Denmark, were one of the teams in 2018 who I really actually enjoyed watching and got behind at that World Cup. Obviously, the home, I think that you always want a home nation to do well anyway at a major tournament because it makes the tournament better there's just you were out on the ground there as well I'm sure there's a real feel-good factor I actually watched the Spain versus Russia game in a in a bar in central Madrid so you can imagine the atmosphere died a, died a death when uh, the winning penalty went in but they're one of those teams as well who I think that they're much more of a team then we talked about Denmark maybe being a loss of individual players but Russia don't actually have that many big name players do they in reality you know especially for a country with such with clubs who are always playing in European football they're always at major tournaments but they're not necessarily a team full of stars but they really do grow at tournaments but I'm a bit worried about their lack of goals because I think if you take out Zuba and Cheryshev from their squad their next highest scorer scored five goals in their international career and it's not like they that they've got a lot of young players coming through who've only got sort of 10 caps but have scored five goals it's quite a an experienced squad in that sense but if they're ever going to step up and score a few more and add to that tally I'm sure uh, it would be a perfect time to do it and if the St Petersburg crowd can get behind them as well then then why not I think that's a good point Joe with 
talking about the fans in St. Petersburg, but I think Russia are going to be one of the countries that are, if not at capacity, nearly at a full stadium of fans who could really get behind the Russian national team, push them to glory. I'm not saying they're going to go all the way, but they, they can make it out of the group here. Denmark, Russia could be a game to watch. Golovin's not bad either. He's good at set pieces. He can provide a threat, but I do, I do agree with Joe. They are lacking a clinical finisher, someone... Someone who, when get, they get sent through on goal, you think, oh, he's sticking this away. That, that's what they need. Well, Rick, Juba was that guy in 2018, wasn't he? If he was through on goal, you were backing him to score. But he was one of those players who really got on a roll in that tournament. He started it by getting a goal in the opening game and then things just went on and on and on from there. I'm just a bit worried that he's a couple of years older. If he doesn't catch fire, he's got a very good goal-scoring record at international level, though. He's one in two. So that would do for them. But like I said, if it's not him, then who is it? And especially if it's not Cherishev either. Isn't he a bit of a distraction though? I know in past months he was omitted from squads or had issues involving himself and videos on social media. So he, he seems to be a bit of a joker of the pack. So if he doesn't take it seriously, how are Russia actually going to be able to compete if he's not focused? Well, as Rick said, I don't think Cherishev suffers fools lightly. So I think that if I were Juba, I would not be wanting to annoy such a fierce, angry looking mustachioed man that's for sure <laughs> well yeah he was he was taken out of the squad for a while and then brought back in and, and made captain again so I, I don't imagine he's going to repeat that mistake but we'll have to see summer heat can get into everyone's heads at the best of times and finally we move on to Finland everyone's written them off including me obviously it's their first major tournament the team is largely filled with unknown players beyond striker Timu Puki. But he showed with Norwich he can score past the best the Premier League has to offer. And their goalkeeper, Lukas Radecki, with Bayer Leverkusen is quite good too. So what is success for Finland? Oof, this is a tough one. I think that Finland, they're maybe the complete opposite of everything we've just said there. Very much a team of players all playing sort of the lower Premier Leagues of European football or even in second divisions so they're certainly you could even say that they're batting above their fighting above their weight so to speak uh, by even qualifying you know look at Glenn Kamara who's had a great season at Rangers but then you you caveat that with the fact it's okay it's a great season at Rangers but it's a Scottish league you look at Pukki who scored a lot of goals but again in the championship they've got a great goalkeeper as you say whatever it is that these goalkeepers learn to do in Germany, you've got to applaud their goalkeeping coaches and say, you know, can some of them come over to, to England perhaps? Because I think that you get onto that, but I think that might be a position that costs England in the future. However, I think that success for Finland, getting back to the original question, would maybe be getting a, a draw. I think if they could get a, if they could finish the group on one point or more, you'd have to say that's, success it's not the toughest group either that's one thing we have to say they have belgium aside they've managed to avoid big big boys that they, they the group of they could have been drawn into the group of death for example and they've avoided that so maybe finland will be looking at denmark or russia and saying we can we can at least get a point off one of you guys they beat france recently in a friendly to show they're not mugs either yeah, 2-0 last year. And that was without Pookie scoring as well. So, you know, they're not a joke team. Yeah, I was, I was just about to touch on that. I mean, maybe maybe we're writing off Finland a bit too much here. They, they beat France 2-0. 
think it's goals from Marcus Frost and Oni Valakari who scored. Uh, France had Pogba and Kante playing. Uh, was playing as well. So, you know what? I, I actually think Finland might look to inspiration of Iceland in 2016. Maybe Wales. Look what they achieved and think, hold on a minute, we, we could do something similar here. I'm sure they'll have the whole nation behind them. Their first game is in Copenhagen. They've also got games in St. Petersburg, which they can just travel across the border. It's not far at all. So they, there could be some away or home support, if you want to call it like that, in that stadium that could spur them on. Yeah, they've got a good group for, for their travelling fans, as you say. Copenhagen, not a million miles away. Uh, maybe not as close as people think, but it's still not that far away. And then St. Petersburg is obviously very close. No one's going to predict Finland to get through there, right? Joe says a draw would be good. Dave was a bit more positive. What do you guys reckon for the overall look of this group? I think Belgium will, will come out on top on this one. And after I've just mentioned about Finland, I'm, I'm going to stick my neck out on the line here and say Finland will cause a couple of shocks here. Okay, they might not get second, but they might push for that best third place finish and, and take some points off Russia and, and get something off Denmark. Why not? Wow, Dave, that's impressive. You've been spending too much time in that Finnish sauna at your house, <laughs> I think, uh, with that, that kind of prediction. It's bold, I must say. Uh, I'm not quite as upbeat on Finland as, as Dave is. I think that Belgium will top the group. It would be a huge surprise if Belgium didn't top it. I think that Russia will probably go through in second place. They're the kind of team who I can just see getting it together. Although on the contrary as well, Russia, of the teams in the group, you'd say that the team that Finland probably had the best chance of beating is Russia. If Russia get into sort of a bad, get off to a bad start and they face a must-win game and then things just go into sort of a negative spiral, you're the kind of, the kind of team you could see losing all three group games as well. Despite having just said, I think that they'll come second, I could also see them coming bottom of the group as well. So I think that Russia will come second if they don't get into aforementioned negative spiral and that Denmark will be one of the best third place teams as well because I think that they might both finish the group on four points. Yeah, I'm more aligned to Joe's way of thinking. I'd say Belgium, nine points out of nine. I think for me, Denmark second place, just based on the quality of their players, though, as Joe pointed out earlier, they don't maybe not have as, as tight of a team as Russia do and, and showed at the 2018 World Cup. And I agree, Finland, if they get a point, then that is a job well done. As long as they score, I think. I want to see a pookie goal at the Euros. Need some pookie puns, pookie party, and, and other worse puns, which I'm not going to make. And that will be all for today. Thank you for joining us. A pleasure to have you. Come back for more pods from us. Follow us on Twitter at Inside Euros Pod, on Instagram at Inside Euros Pod. Like and subscribe and all those things. And if you're feeling like you've got spare time, then pop onto Apple iTunes and give us a review. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you. See you next time.